Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. come well here's the deal the day has come for ryan and i we are finally wrapping up the look back at 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 the, at the last year um we are recording we are kind of multiversing ourselves here we're sort of tarantinoing it we are playing with time we are avenging going back we are ant-man quantumanianing it um by recording although this- oddly our little podcast is actually going to have better rendered special effects than that film to head. But we, uh, so yeah, so we are uh, recording this. This is the final episode for us. Uh, uh, recapping the last couple of years, yes. but uh, the, but we have a few more episodes coming the next couple weeks, which we have already recorded, but we for wanted. you guys. Yeah, yeah, we wanted to make sure this to one get in here this so, one that, in. so that those of you who are relatively caught up on the show, or even if you're not, you could skip ahead and you can have mm-hmm. for the first time in six seasons of the movie show with Joel and Ryan, you can have a a proper, if not award season preview, then at least an Oscar uh, Academy Awards preview, sort of. Yeah. There are still some limitations to that, but we'll get to those as we go. Um, Indeed. Are we going to hooray for Hollywood or something for this one? Oh, I wasn't going to hooray for Hollywood. I mean, I could hooray for it's Hollywood. Not I al- could, it's uh, not an alternate Oscars, but. No, no, no. But I, I do have uh, I do have this guy. I could go. Oh, no, this is alternate. Though. It feels uh, right. This today, one we want. I'm going to fade. Yep, it kind of does. But I am going to fade it out and then go, it's the final recap of 2022 and a few movies from 2021 and a few years from, from before that. There we go. Um, all right. So uh, let's get, but before we get to some of the, we're going to kind of bait the 2023 Oscars. We have a couple, uh, we have a couple animation films. Now these, these films are also nominated, nominated for Oscars. Uh, so they fit right for, they fit for Oscars. Right. But but we're gonna start with these animated features. Uh, the first one, of course, being Guillermo. Oh boy, oh off to a flying start. You know what? I I didn't even introduce us. That, but I'm just assuming at this point, six seasons in, if someone's a tuning into our Academy Award show, I'm Ryan. Uh, that, in case you want to, and then I'm Joel. Yeah. So uh, I guess if you somehow needed that in your life to know <laughs> specifically who we are, you got it. Um. But let's start out with Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Pinocchio, uh, stop motion animation. Yeah, uh, it is. It, uh, it's an and it's a musical. 
and it has this song in it called Everything is New to Me. <laughs> and I still have that song stuck in my head. It's a scene where Pinocchio uh, comes to life and he's just running around the workshop and he's like, oh, look at this, look at this, look at that. And he's literally destroying everything. <laughs> and he's singing this happy song about how everything is new to him. And it's, I don't know what that song means, but that song felt like the uh, just the, went straight to the heart of truth. You know, <laughs> I don't know why, but it, it just is. Uh, I don't I don't have a lot to say. I don't watch a lot of animated movies. I don't watch Pixar movies or Disney movies or Paramount animation or DreamWorks animation or all those little talking critters mm-hmm. out, out, movies out there. I avoid those. I know some of them are really great. I know particularly some Pixar movies are great, but they I treat animated films... How to Train Your Dragon, Kung Fu Panda. I treat them all like video games, which is to say I just don't partake in them. And what that and it's not because they're bad, it's because what that does is it opens up this big opening in my life where I don't have to do those. <laughs> I can do whatever I want for a change. <laughs> I it's hard to explain, I was but that's say I thought you were gonna go, I thought you were gonna say, I, I don't do that because if I did, it opens up uh my heart and makes me actually have to feel <laughs> well because i have seen a few you know what i mean every once in a while mm-hmm. some comes along yeah. that i can't resist there was a couple this year this is one of them if guillermo's going to do a stop mash stop motion pinocchio then uh, and he was had collaborators on it he's not the sole director on it or anything but you know if, if he's gonna do give us something like this like i gladly skipped the zemeckis Tom Hanks, Pinocchio from early in the year, for example. I had no problem sure. not watching that. Um, but this I had to watch because Del Toro is just a special kind of artist. And he does present some things that aren't always the greatest. But in this case, it felt like a pretty safe bet. And it was. It's glorious, a beautiful mm-hmm. sort of... Um, pre pre world war two and post world war two like mussolini era um fascism is is hanging over the whole thing i've never seen that before so that was very very new and and added a lot of darkness to it but it it's not that some it's not what you would think it's not some dark twisted fairy tale For, for for that you have pan's labyrinth and some other things this is this was just the Pinocchio story, but it just had that added little bit of history in there that made it mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Otherwise, it goes through the paces kind of exactly as you would expect. And, you know, again, the art direction and stuff, it's its its not quite Nightmare Before Christmas good, but it's really, really good. It's like in that category of, yeah. of wow, yeah. this, is, this is really, really well done um it's pretty it's pretty beautiful it's pretty stunning to look at yeah and um, it and it carries yeah. you along and it's not um it has some heavy moments like pinocchio does some real scary stuff in it if you really think about what it is um mm-hmm. even the disney the old disney version you know when i was little was like they had moments where i was like wow this is terrible yeah. what's happening so it is that kind of story still but i, I don't think there's anything in it that that would prevent families from watching it or whatever. So, I mean, that's cool. It's not some weird alternate 
adults Pinocchio or whatever, but it's mm-hmm. certainly a film that anyone who at any point in their life has watched a really good animated musical, I think we'll get into. And I think that's pretty neat. Is it, uh, Ewan McGregor plays Jiminy Cricket in it. Is that right? Yes. Am I remember yes. that right? That's pretty, that's pretty nifty casting. You know, he was pretty good, uh, Lumiere and uh, Beauty and the Beast and stuff like he's right. something about that his little because it's still him but it's this extra it's hard to explain it's got this little extra yeah. level to the vocal performance that he gives that's really interesting and Jiminy's sort of his involvement in this story is different and funnier that it's got it's a different take than we're used to and mm-hmm. I like that about it too yeah um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I dug this film a lot, a lot. It was really here. Here's what I would say about it. It's like, if you, if you've watched, uh, Disney's Pinocchio, the, the, the original, and if you've watched it lately, then you know that it's, uh, you know, it's got some dark, you know, not, not a lot of good happens for, for everybody in it. And, and there's lots of, there's lots of strife. Um, life's hard sometimes it's easier yeah. just being a puppet it's true but 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 then you get and then but then you get uh but it, you know like the the distance like i i i can see it being one of these things like oh well everyone oh but i remember disney's pinocchio it was so fun and he's a real boy and he performs blah, blah, blah. and then you maybe watch it you may watch this and go ew what <laughs> huh but no, it is literally. I mean, it, it it's uh, you know the the story is pretty. You know, it, it it all of this stuff is part of the Pinocchio story. It isn't uh, yeah, without you know, doubt. It, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I dug I dug it. It's it's really um, yeah. It was really fun. Uh, it, it was it was everything I wanted it to be. Frankly, it was just really really a good time. It's neat. The kid who voices Pinocchio is really outstanding, and the the obviously this ensemble that they put together to mm-hmm. voice these characters are amazing. But what, what where it really works is the the animation's its own thing, and it has its own personality, and and the yep. characters all really come vividly to life in a yet in mm-hmm. a very un, unreal and surreal setting. And what else can you ask from an animated movie mm-hmm. than that, really? All right, let's move on to a um, movie that I um, I have been gushing over for months, um, and it is Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Yeah, Marcel the yeah. Shell. Um, well, this one's sort of a. This isn't Pinocchio. Why don't you read the synopsis for this one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's. Uh, I mean, it's based on um, some short films that were made uh, about uh, this mollusk with tennis shoes named marcel uh voiced by jenny slate in this one um uh the the imdb thing just says it's an adaptation of the shorts oh nice thanks short film interviewing a mollusk named marcel but um what it is but there you uh, go guy moves into a airbnb that where this shell has been living and decides to make a movie about it he's a documentary filmmaker so it's a movie within mm -hmm. a movie kind of not exactly kind of yeah um but that's fun because there's a lot of direct address and it's a lot of it's a real neat conceit for a feature-length animated movie because it gets you right into their lifestyle and how how this shell sees the world which is 
constantly delightful. Like it's just never any of their any of the little weird malapropisms. One of my favorite scenes in the thing, although there's there's just tons of them. That was mm-hmm. was the two shells that were left behind in this sort of accidental exodus of all the shells that used to be in this place together, and they're. They're just doing an interview with voiced by Slate, and then the other one is Isabella Rossellini, who's just Rossellini. wonderful in it. Yeah, and she—they're talking about the sports that they like to watch on TV, and they're trying to describe them or even make sense of them, and and their mm-hmm. their in a their ability to enjoy them despite their inability to explain what is happening in them is really—it's that's that that largely until you get to the kind of final act, that's the joy of this thing is the, the just looking at sort of plain domestic life from a vastly different, more innocent. And yet with these, they are innocents, these shells, and yet they're, they Mm -hmm. have this different sort of wisdom that we don't have when we're caught up in our own things. Like they, they right. see things literally for what they are, and as they sort of describe them and try and make sense of them, it, it, they, we learn a lot and stuff. It's really, really clever, but it's more than that. It's, it's, it's t- repeatedly touching and moving in a way that that um, that you can just tell from the start that it's going to be. I'd never seen the shorts, but the animation is relatively simple. But that's it. But it's. It's this combination of stop motion in the real world and and drawn animation for like other little pieces of it, their mouths and stuff. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's a combination of disciplines that are used really, really well. Um, there was some question as to whether it even be nominated for an Oscar because there's so much live action footage in it. It takes place in the real world. Yeah, but it to watch this and to not see an animated movie. You know, this movie could only be what it is if it were an animated movie, and that's so. To me, they made the right decision. Thankfully, on that, it it yeah. it's just it's just a it's just adorable, and it makes you feel good. And yet, it it also it's not unlike Pinocchio. There are these there's this sense of danger and a real sense of loss and loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that the thing works because it. It has those real emotions in them that aren't positive all the time. Yeah, and I, I really super dig it. So, jo- Joel, I'll let you talk about it because it was one of your favorite movies of the year, basically. It, it. I mean, uh, I, I loved the, I loved the shorts. I, I, I love Jenny Slate. I've been a Jenny Slate fan for, for since since she was on Saturday Night Live. Um, just she's just wonderful. And so I, I've seen these shorts, um, but, e- but even, and the shorts are always, you know, they're always very funny and very sweet. That's the, you know, that's part of the whole bit with Marcel. Um, but even knowing that, even being familiar with that, I was not, I, I was not prepared for how much I was going to be moved, how much I was moved by this uh, just laughing and tears and, the I, I, the movie just stuck with me. It was one of those where it's like, I I know all the beats to this film. I know all you know. This is this movie isn't breaking ground on storytelling or anything like that. It's it's a pretty by the numbers story. It's but it just 
moved me so much and I could not stop thinking about it. Yeah, to um, me, the thing that's amazing about it is that it is very much of the moment in a way that Pinocchio more or less could have came out at any time. And partly that's because Pinocchio mm -hmm. has been kicking around for forever, but, but it's more than that. That film, if you did, you know what I mean? It, you can tell it's sort of modern animation, but if, if, the, mm -hmm. if a similar stop motion epic would have come out in 1974, you'd have been like, Oh yeah, I could see that. It could have had the same songs, could have the same everything. The way Marcel talks, the way she interacts with this millennial filmmaker guy, like they're just the way they're, Turns of phrases, the way they sort of, it's very, very much a, a voice, I think, of that generation specifically, but just sort of this, the times we live in, the way people interact with one another, like all that is yeah. a big, big part of it. So it's, and I love that about it. it it's, it's so of this time, it's a voice of this time, you know what I mean? I've been yeah. proven right why I said years and years ago that, what at King's Speech, I think, won the Oscar this year. And I said, King's Speech is great. We all liked it. But it, it, I said, this when we look back at this time, we're going to remember the social network. We're not going to remember King's Speech the same, right. not in the same light, because that's the movie of right now. You know what I mean? That's the movie yeah. that is what we're going through. And when we look at, when we look back here and we look at a present day movie, for now we're getting 10 plus years on. You look at it and you're just like, yes, this is it. This is <laughs> this is it. this is the one, mm -hmm. and it's it's been. I think that was always the case, but it's been rebranded now as very much the movie of that year. And this of everything else I watched this year, and we've got a whole big list of them coming up. Yeah, yeah. This was the kind of the movie of this time, because we all know the kind of harsh and, and tough world that we live in. Um. And it's not that it's not it's not that Marcel's you know world view is limited. It's that well, it is that it's that the circumstances of the existence of that thing is limited mm -hmm. in a way that he's able to focus in on what's important in a way that even the documentarian isn't, <laughs> and that's really neat to see. And and it and it's yeah. it puts us in his shoes, the filmmaker's shoes, and. And then we get taken on this guided, this wonderful guided journey by this incredibly awesome character that you just can't get enough of. And and yeah. it's really, I mean, that's it's it is simple, but it's kind of a it's kind of a miracle too. That that meaning and finding that isn't easy. And it's and it's and it and to feel so alive and so spontaneous within the least spontaneous art form we have in film, the animated film, you know, it is, it's just amazing. It's just really, really, yeah. really, really good. If there's any justice, this is the film. I just don't think there's any doubt that this is the animated movie. We should, the more it gets seen that this is the animated movie that we'll remember from this year, whether it gets it's animation is, isn't that special. That might sink it from an award yeah. standpoint, but as a bit of storytelling, I mean, geez. Yeah. Um, well, that makes me so very happy. I, I, I mean, I, 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 not that it would have changed the way I felt about anything, 
Um, but I'm just glad that you enjoyed it because uh, I know you had to listen to me talk about it uh, <laughs> at length. Um, no, I, so, it's really good. Yeah. I mean, really good stuff stands up. I'm I'm glad we got it. Yeah. I'm glad I I'm really glad I saw it. So yeah. Okay, so first up, so now let's move on to uh, these some of these movies that are that we're going to be hearing. Um, uh, yeah, and a we lot started about. this off with baiting the 2022 Oscars. This is baiting the 2023 Oscars. So this most of the Oscar nominations, although we've talked about a couple of them already, or to you, mm -hmm. you've yet to hear us. So a couple mm -hmm. things are going to be a couple of big hits, for example, are going to be conspicuously missing here, but. But it, just know that these are the the Oscar bait films. These are the art films made by the renowned directors. We had an incredible spate. Uh, due to everybody going back to work post-COVID, we had an incredible lineup of renowned and excellent filmmakers come out and give us movies this year. It's mm -hmm. If there's anything shocking about this group, it's it's... It's um, it's that 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 amounted to a really weird group of films that, like, even when you look at mm -hmm. what got nominated, it it's it's a it's only even only half of them really I could get behind, even being nominated. So this year is a weird year. What people decided yeah. to celebrate and what they didn't, and the Oscars continuing to ten movie sell out to big giant massive hits and ignore smaller films and the small films that they're embracing are weird. And uh, that leads us to the big Academy Award scandal for this year, right? Our first movie on our list is yep. one of the smallest and it not is, necessarily uh, meant, I think to be a Oscar bait film, but, but it, since it's a big part of the story of the Oscars, it's here it is. And it is, mm -hmm. it is a movie called, to Leslie, it is inspired. It is based on the incredible true story yeah. of a West Texas single mother who wins the lottery and squanders it just as fast, leaving behind a world of heartbreak. Years later, with her charm running out and nowhere to go, she fights to rebuild her life and find redemption. Wins a little over a hundred grand, which that's no bad shakes, but it's isn't somebody who blew through like the power, the $2 billion Powerball yeah, or yeah, anything. Win, yeah. Yeah. Um, but still there's this great, and it's reused about two or three times throughout the movie, this great scene where the local news is covering her winning. The film starts with that and then it comes back to it and stuff. Um, the actor and everyone's acting like this lady just appeared out of stardust. She's been, <laughs> right. she's been in stuff and pretty awesome in things for decades and change here. So I don't know. I guess that's just weird to me, but the the woman at the heart of it all is Andrea Risebro, who's incredible. Um, can't remember if she's English or Irish, but she's yeah, from, she's, she's English, from Great, yeah. yeah, she's from Great Britain and really really talented. Um, and playing this sort of Texas washout, like sex addicted, alcoholic failure of a person is. It's you want things to work out for her anyway. It's hard to explain because she's a truly obnoxious person when we meet her. Um, she really is. But it it the movie's just about the little ways in which you can put things back together again. Mark Marin 
who plays a guy who against his better judgment or because he's just just suspending his judgment for a bit says to her, I, you know, sorry, your life's not a fairy tale, but you're still alive. It's in that. And it's, and that sounds simple. Oh, here's this pop psychology of the movie, but, but that, that's, that's as true as it gets. That's as, I mean, that's as tough love as it gets. It's, it's, Hey, you're still here and you just gotta choose to do what, what you have left better or you're going to be miserable. You make everyone else in your life miserable, which is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And she's, they have another, they share another moment. The two of them together are just fantastic. And Marin is a pretty good actor, but he's like his, yeah. he's, um, he's a really good actor. I don't want to sell him short. It's like, he's some kind of non actor. That's not fair, but we, you really have somebody who's dynamite and disappearing into a role here in a, not, I don't want to say a method way, because I don't know what Andrea's method is, but really, really immersed in who this person is in a very way we expect from our great actors, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And Marin isn't, he's very kind of on the surface and he's very reactionary. And it's this wonderful combo, truly. It's it's like watching, um, it's not the, anywhere the same in terms of content, but it's like watching Janet Lee and Brando and Streetcar together, where the whole approach to the thing is just completely different. And because of that, the characters live in the world in a completely different ways. And it's it's really, really a neat thing. And so hats off to Mark for that. Where the film got us, the Riseboro's performance is stunning, and she's been nominated for an Oscar for it. And it's really, really, after you watch the film, it's tough to... I don't know how you could argue with that not being a righteous nomination. And of course, nobody really is saying it isn't. What they're saying is that the the lot of um, the campaigning rules about Oscar nominations were broken here because the directors, who's the writer-director for it? He did a really nice job too, obviously. Michael Morris. Well, Michael Morris and the writer was Ryan Bonacco. Gotcha. And, And... Michael Morris is married to an actor called uh, Mary McCormick. If you don't know who that is, you would know her if you saw her. Certainly if you heard her. She's a fantastic actor, too. Really, really good. Sort of got her start in TV, so she's never been considered like the great cinema performer. But she's really good in plenty of movies, too. But she, you know, watched her husband's movie, was blown away by this performance, and basically emailed every Academy voter she knew and said... If you guys have to at least see this before nominations roll around, because this is amazing, and that sounds innocuous mm-hmm. enough, but you're just not apparently are not supposed to do that. I can't believe that stuff like that isn't done year in and year out. I know it was certainly done back in the heyday of these sorts of 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 when Oscar campaigning, when Oscars really became a, a didn't become a hey, you get your ballot and blah, blah, blah. Well, in the internet age, when they really did become a, a contest outside of the contest itself. Um, and I, you look at this group of nominees and you look at how the actors have, and I'm sorry to say, or to, to name drop this person, but they're still very much Weinstein era award show. They They're still all these weird dirty tricks and little things that are happening. It's perfectly okay Mm -hmm. for the 
distributor of this film, for instance, to promote it as being Oscar-worthy. You just can't do it if you're a member of the Academy for some reason. That seems backwards and weird, but the whole thing seems weird, and that's sort of the point. And then there's this extra, and I don't want to get in too much into this, but there's an extra racial component to it, too, that people really believed that either Viola Davis from... Um, from um, Warrior Woman, woman King. or Warrior uh, King. Woman King. Woman King, woman King yeah. Warrior Woman King. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I shouldn't, that should be easy enough to remember the, that movie's name. We talked about that one last week. You can actually go listen to our take on it. Um, Viola Davis, really, really good. And I mean, mm -hmm. I can see where they're coming from. Really, really powerful uh, performance, both just in the character herself and the the physicality of the role it's it's something to behold um and then and then the woman who played uh lucas till's mother what's her name do you have that one handy uh give me a second i have not pulled up so basically african-american women had a really good showing in oscar-esque sort of performances in, in movies that were pretty good what's her name danielle deadweiler and she's amazing until like really really good and in a, 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 a more conventional performance that's less likely to take oscar voters by storm because i think it, in that sort of based on a true story you know historical uh we've seen that a lot a lot of times but she's still really really good and 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 i get it but we've always said you know people come on and they're like so-and-so should have been nominated for an Oscar. You know what I mean? I was stunned to find out yesterday that Claire Foy has never been nominated for an Oscar. That blows my mind. Nevertheless, if you want, and this is the game, and we try and play it fair on our show, if you want to say so-and-so needs to be nominated for such-and-such, -such, you got to pull up the nominations and eliminate somebody. That mm -hmm. is the only way that your opinion uh, as far as that goes, has any validity at all. You have to say, no, so-and-so was better than such-and-such in such this, and they just should have at least been nominated. Maybe they should have won. That's harsh. We do that with alternate Oscars all the time. We take people's awards away from them and give them to other people that we deem more worthy. That's a kind of mean Indeed. thing when you think about it. But But that's the only way to do it. Everybody can't be nominated. Everybody can't win. That's not how it works. So, so uh, eventually there are some sanctions coming down to some certain individuals, blah, blah, blah. But Riseborough was able to keep her nomination, which had it been taken from her, uh, I mean, that would have been... That would have been a big deal. Mm -hmm. That's all anyone would have talked about. And I think the Oscars rightly, the Oscar committee or whatever, rightly recognized that eh, we don't want this to be just all about that. Let's, what's the way we can satisfy this and make this go away? But the reality is that a, 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 a Gonzo great performance in a tiny little movie um, brought that movie more attention. And that's good. That's, that's, that's the best thing that an Oscar run can get you is get the project out in front of more eyes and ears and that a uh, human story, which to Leslie definitely is, can reach more people and people can exercise their empathy through that story, which demands that you do that. 
it it makes it hard for you in fact it challenges you to remain doing that but that's that's what's great about it so i i like that film a lot i'm not surprised it's not nominated for tons of oscars but andre really is amazing in it and there's nobody else i'm not prepared to take her nomination away to give it to one of these other women as worthy as they were and so it yeah. passes our test at least as far as that goes all right, well, let's move on to The Whale, uh, another uh, highly lauded performance by Brendan Fraser. Um, and uh, yeah, based on a, I mean, I know this was a play, um, but it's uh, about a reclusive, morbid, morbidly obese English teacher who attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter. Yeah, it's it's about a guy in a house where it rains all the time eating himself to death is, is, is really it for the film, not to mention that that's what it is, is, is weird because he is depressed. He's got a long history that the film plays out. I don't know if I want to get into the character's backstory or what happened because they kind of tell you, and then they kind of reveal really what the details and what the meaning behind all of that was as the film goes on. So I'll just, keep it to myself, but he has a reason to be very depressed and very self-destructive. But his, that part of him is at odds with what he's trying to get out of his students. Um, the way he's interacting with this uh, missionary that comes to visit him and definitely the way that he's trying to reconnect with his daughter who he left in a rather scandalous situation when she was in her single digits age old played by, um, uh, sink. She's really good. Sadie, Sadie sink from you guys know from, uh, stranger things, probably, uh, Sadie sink, Samantha Morton. It, literally everyone in this is absolutely fantastic as you'd expect it's i think it's guys a cast of five and that's i think that's all we other than the zoom meetings of his class room i think that's really all that we interact with throughout the film so it really is a play films by darren aronofsky the makeup effects on um on uh uh brendan fraser are incredible mm -hmm. and will certainly win an oscar i don't i mean because they're just amazing and brendan is uh, wouldn't surprise me to see him win either because it is sort of a transformational role but when you watch it it really isn't that way it's, this is this is brandon at his best the way he's been for ages and i think it, people just sort of mm -hmm look past that a little bit sometimes it, it's it's a really emotionally wrought thing and it's really an emotionally complicated story um and in that way i was tremendously moved by it and i was totally caught up in it um darren i don't know how the movie uh or how the play ends but darren grafts uh a, a, an abstract final idea onto the end of the thing that I don't think you, this should have. And that, that left me going, eh, what? It was just not what I wanted mm -hmm. to be feeling at the end of the film. And it's just hard. People who are self, I mean, you know, Nicholas Cage rode drinking himself to death to an Oscar win, you know, back in whatever it was, 2000, 
or 97 or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And leaving Las Vegas. And that's hard. It's hard to sympathize with a person who is doing that and everything else that they're doing. It, it, it is, seems to not be in line with that. So a big part of this is making your peace with, with, that that he has these ambitions to do right and do good at the end of his life, and yet that the end of his life is caused entirely by him. And the film really does adequately demonstrate, and I'm sure the play does too, that he has plenty to live for. And that's difficult. That's just difficult stuff. Um, it works best when you're not thinking about it. When you're, you know what I mean. It works. It it works best when you're not thinking about it. When you really think a lot about it, 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 I don't know how well it works. It doesn't work as well. I can promise you that. But Mm -hmm. these characters are really in depth. The play is super well written. The performances are, are so good. The, the atmosphere and everything. Um, I don't know who lit this, but somebody who's used to doing much, much bigger movies than just like an interior of an apartment. The, The cinematography is incredible in it. It's just really, really well done, but mm-hmm. but I I get why the whale is getting some special notice and a performance nomination, but isn't getting much love at the proper Oscars because th- those things I'm talking about, your your willingness to go along for that ride under those circumstances will be will 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 be put to the test in terms of your ability to mm-hmm. fully empathize with what's going on in it. So we'll see. I thought it was good though. Aronofsky hasn't done anything in a while. If you've seen, uh, the fighter, it's very similar tonally to that, but because it's based on a play, it's that single location. You don't even really leave the kitchen, dining room, slash living room of this house. Truly, that's it. That's the only place mm-hmm. this thing takes place. And given that, it's never dull for a moment. It's really amazing. It's shot in the uh, 137 aspect ratio for reasons we'll never understand. But there you have it. <laughs> oh, there it is. There's our ratio. <laughs> it's shot that way for a reason. Uh, I mean, yeah. but it's interesting. Uh, Marcel, the, the shell with shoes on, with, which, uh, was shot in one five, five point one, which again is, I've never even heard of that. I don't think I've ever even seen another movie made that way. Um, so I don't know if that's like an online thing or if I don't know, I'm not sure what that's meant Mm -hmm. to be, uh, standing for. It should have some meaning. Otherwise, why are you doing it? But I'm not sure what it is. It's interesting though. Well, let's move on to uh, let's move on to uh, bones and all. Timothy Chalamet, um, yeah, yeah. Timothy Chalamet, uh, Taylor Russell, Mark Rylance, hilarity and horror. No romance. Uh, Marin, a young woman, learns how to survive on the margins of society. That really was. That's, that's, that's nice. what it says. They're cannibals, everybody. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it kind of ruins the opening a- act for you, but I'm, you know, to not, yeah. to not, this is a case where to not know that when you're going in to watch it is really um, 
irresponsible and sort of unacceptable. So, because as the best review I read for this film says, um, it's it's fascinating until it isn't, and the issue is that cannibalism cannot remain a metaphor. <laughs> It, mm-hmm. it went, while it is, it's an interesting one. When it's not, it it it's the movie is about these people who eat other people and deal with it. You know what I mean? There were they're at a festival where they did a talkback. God bless the talkback. So dumb. But uh, the but anyway, they had one, and Luca, the direct writer director of this thing showed up and they said why why somebody had the nerve to ask why should we really give a crap about a couple of people who eat other people to you know to live or whatever and he's like oh that that I'm just sorry for the accent and everybody's like that that is very close minded of you <laughs> <laughs> no I, okay yes it is close minded if we're going to take the definite that close minded as the definition but some things we've closed our mind to as a society, as a race of people at the top of the food chain, as people who've lived through centuries and centuries on Earth and have created, for better or worse, some basic rules of how to conduct ourselves in the world and what mm-hmm. is right and what is wrong. And one of the things that's wrong is murdering people and eating them. And I think it's cool... If you feel the same way as me, stand up and shout like that lady in the audience <laughs> did. You know what I mean? And if you do feel that way, then it is hard to sympathize with them. This film is very, it's, I said it a few weeks back when I rescinded my alternate Oscar from Luca <laughs> and gave it to uh, um, a buddy. We're going to be talking about Martin McDonough here in a few minutes. Um, because I'm sorry, because you don't deserve to have it. All you've done is made this artsy-fartsy trash. It's trash. This film, likewise, it's this gross sort of horror idea, but it's delivered with this sort of A-list art house panache. And it's like, I, I don't know what to say to this guy. I mean, it's not like some bad movie. It's the best movie about runaway it's like the best runaway cannibal road movie I've ever seen. There's no question about that. Rylance brings something truly disturbing to it. And, mm-hmm. and, but cannibalism, she's, this reviewer, I should have been quoting who it was. Cannibalism cannot be remain a metaphor. So what do you have in the end is these cannibals duking it out, killing each other. And it's like, what's that? That's, that's, that can be fun, I suppose, but that's B-movie junk, and that's what this is. Don't let him disguise it as to what it is. Those mm-hmm. are the things he's ultimately exploring, and and cannibalism doesn't remain a metaphor, and once it's not a metaphor, there's nothing else here. There's nothing else here except what is happening on screen. And as far as that goes, this movie's not very good. Um... Even if it's really well crafted and well made and well acted and everything else you want from a film like this, it's just, it, it, mm-hmm. if it is what it is, it's bad. If it's something else, I, I, after a while, I missed it along with that other review. I mean, that's why I keep repeating her 
summation because it's perfect. It can't. It can't remain a metaphor. Therefore, your involvement on this on some art house level is lost at some point, and then you're left with a really corny, ridiculous B-movie premise where everybody's given it their all, but everyone ends up looking foolish as a result. And that's yeah. that's... I don't know if that's shameful. I mean, they're trying something different. Like, that's not the worst thing in the world, but it's my yeah. take on Bones and all. Well, let's uh, let's move on to Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. Uh, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan feels about this one maybe the way I feel about Fall. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's not like that no, at all. I, mean, I, no, I wasn't it, facing my deepest fears or anything. I was just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> this this film's yeah. way too good for me. We talked about it. We previewed a little bit on an episode to be aired later. Crazy. Yeah. Listen for <laughs> yeah, that. See? Listen for that preview. But the gist of it is that it it's it's just, it's it's Inaratu who's made some really amazing movies. Um, mm -hmm. this is no less amazing. It's a stunner to look at. There's this scene that takes place in a disco, like a dance hall. Mm -hmm. the amazing. It's as well shot and choreographed the thing as I've ever, as you're likely to ever see. So for that reason, you kind of line up to see this, but it really is this guy going from person to person and having these sort of conversations and, and is does he grow from them? He's he seems to desire to, but does he? I don't really know. What's his deal? I'm not really sure. And they're they're for as cool as that that dance hall sequence is. There's the movie starts out with a, an equally elaborate one in a TV studio after an interview that is that's bad. That's like masturbatorily unnecessarily complicated for what they're actually doing from a story standpoint so very very tiny little story in this giant two hour and 40 minute opus looking thing and he's made that kind of movie before but always with a and i think because he had a different screenwriter back then always with an edge toward frankly pounding out the meaning of what the thing is and that's what Babel is and that's what uh, Peros, uh, you know, it's early films anyway. And, um, mm -hmm. and then since he's done Birdman, which yeah. was amazing, but again, what's Birdman really about it? There's growth and there's characters and there's stuff, but Birdman's such a specific setup and premise. And it's goal really seems to be outside of the story, which is to tell this story in one seemingly continuous shot and that despite some great performance and things that becomes what it is more than the rest of the stuff and uh and then the revenant so you know where this dude's at the revenant on the other hand is is glorious like pure visual storytelling very almost nobody talking to one another now suddenly the visuals are everything and because they are you you're totally swept away in it, even though the it's an unpleasant story to be sure. Yeah. Uh, I, this is like some sort of hybrid of both. It's very scripty. Um, and I just didn't want to talk about it because I don't know how to talk about it. Cause I feel like, I feel like this, my, it's my failing to not 
bring you some better clarity about what this movie was other than I just saw this and then this happened and then that happened. Mm -hmm. That's typically not how I like to review, especially films of this kind. And yet I, that's what I was left with at the end. So for me, it didn't really work. It was, it really tried my patience. In fact, as I was sitting through it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, yeah. Read the synopsis. Does that help set the thing up? Well, I'm, an acclaimed journalist turned documentarian goes on an oniric introspective journey to reconcile with the past, the present, and his Mexican identity. Okay. I love that they put in oniric. Yeah, well, it, it belongs in there. Because what? That's what the movie is, truly. Mm-hmm. It's it's somebody, I don't, I mean, I don't think the filmmaker wrote this synopsis but it it is somebody prop you know dropping oniric on you everywhere and mm-hmm. and, and you're you're half the time you don't even know what it, it is yeah. it's super pretentious and it it left me behind oh well well uh let's let's just move on then let's move on to sam mendes's uh film that he wrote and directed called empire of light is there any like i don't know like this movie is really good it's lovely again as you'd expect from mendy's his films are pretty impressive um it's a much more personal story joel read the synopsis and we'll take it from there a drama about the power of human connection during turbulent times set in an english coastal town in the early 1980s and it takes place in a movie theater there, an old movie house in which yep. they've got two of four screens running. They basically keep the bottom floor in the lobby looking like this beautiful Art Deco thing. But up upstairs where the cafe was and where all this stuff was is is this run-down um, scab of a thing that, that's, that's there that is also sort of beautiful in its own way. Very rich and metaphorical value that I could actually follow. Thank you for that, Sam. Um, but mm-hmm. what's what the there are two things at the heart of it that I don't think really work. The the it's about these people, but it it has a very British drama. It actually has a very British comedy sense of plotting for a film that's as heavy handed as it is. Olivia Coleman plays uh, the the woman who kind of manages the place. Colin Firth plays the guy who owns it, or at least is in charge of it through some holding company or something. It's not ever really made super clear. Mm-hmm. One of the big events is which tells you when it takes place. Nineteen eighty one is the the film the how movie studio hosts. Uh, one of the premieres of Chariots of Fire, which was a big, big deal for England, the English movie fans at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And Olivia, because she's going through lots of problems, um, has this sort of breakdown at that. <laughs> and, and it makes it could have been worse. And in that way, the film plays fair with us because a, a dumber movie would have had her, you know, bring the house down with what her issue was. As it is, she just makes everyone feel uncomfortable for a few minutes, then disappears. And the real fireworks happen out in the lobby with only about a half dozen people looking at her, which is nice. Because that's 
that rings truer and it feels less stupid and the whole movie really does know how to sort of fit this in but her relationships with different people and the um particularly this kid who comes along to usher at the theater and the fact that it's taking place in a time in England where the um, skinhead marches were taking place routinely where mm-hmm. Margaret Thatcher had just been um, elected on something of a of a anti-immigrant, is sort of anti-non-English, anti... She's a lot like Reagan in that way. She's very stiff upper lip, British, you know, proper in her language about it. But she was swept in and a lot of the working, you know, a lot of the working class champions of of that country and especially the artists saw her as a fascist and still do. And that sense of fascism is right outside her door is, is literal and it brings a real sense of danger to the thing. But it's... It it's and it's I can't stress enough how beautifully made this film is. This is really amazing to look mm. at in bare light. It's appropriately named by that because that's that it it delivers that. You know what I mean? But it's weird. It's a weird story. It won't be for everybody. It's not a feel good story. It's not a feel. It's not a out and out tragedy. It's this weird thing from the mind of a filmmaker who is best frankly when he's telling this kind of story because he he can you know when mendes is given something like uh, dare i say its name even in this context i think i won't when he's given something really super pedantic he 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 makes it that he just leans into that and so when we're given something that's trickier and that's a slice of life it doesn't feel maybe very satisfying but it doesn't embrace cliches and stuff. I thought it was a brave film for that. Um, it there is very much a repetitious sense, though, to watch uh, watching Olivia play this kind of character yet again in this kind of movie. Like you really do feel like, well, this is about the seventh time, and now we're at the point where we're going to start comparing them all to each other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. l- lessens its power somewhat. Which is crazy to say because there's no better actor they could have got to do this role in this film. So I don't argue with that, but it just kind of makes you go, "Mm." (laughs) I really have seen this before now many, many times. Um, You know, not that I'm saying she should go back to TV or anything. She's on top of the world, but I would love to see her play a, a person that that we that we here on the ground could relate to a little bit at some point because she's actually really really good at doing that mm-hmm. but that require that would require more of a plot heavy more co- conventional story and that's just not what this is and we don't want to review things for what they aren't around here that's a big <laughs> that's a cardinal no-no of the movie show with Joel and Ryan you don't don't sit here and yeah, say well yeah. I wish I went to Empire Light and this is what it was but I wish it was all this stuff it sucks you know that's that's uh that's basically How internet I critic done. done it. Yeah. Um, I just saying it's let, on, I'm not so I'm not saying that that's what I'm saying it's on my wish list for Olivia to play a normal person again at some point. Yeah. yeah. Because I think she'd be great um, at it. You know, what we mm-hmm. you know, there were 14 years, 17 years there where Daniel Day-Lewis never played a normal person. 
And you go back and watch him when he is doing that. And he only did it a few times, but watch him. And it's like, whoa, like it's, we could have used a little more of this sprinkled in than these massive, huge eccentric personalities. Because when he does, he's, he's sort of equally brilliant at it. If slightly less celebrated and Olivia is no less a talent than Daniel day Lewis. That's a high compliment for me, but I, I do wish, you know, I do wish we could dial back the psychosis a little bit so that we could relate a little more to somebody who just didn't seem quite so emotionally foreign to us, I guess. Oh, although maybe I missed the point yeah. of Empire Light. It's possible. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible. Um, all right, let's let's <laughs> move on to a movie that um, one of the uh, 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 a movie uh, reviewer that I uh, I really enjoy um, online. She had said she she anticipated this after seeing it. She anticipated this to be one of the most divisive films of the year uh, that people were either going to really love this movie or really, really hate this movie. Um, and I'm curious to see where you if you fall um, on these uh, polar ends. Um, and that movie is Babylon. Oh, I really, really hated it. Like, okay. like a lot um so it so and i and i challenge you to explain why you liked it to me because i don't i don't think you can this is such an empty overlong vacuous story about terrible people who do terrible things and as they careen towards self-destruction um, the film wants you not only to feel bad for them, but to also to look back on this era with these sort of rose tinted glasses. Um, it's about pre-code Hollywood. The film's got animal cruelty in it. It's got, uh, people being, um, fucked to death in it. It's got just one heinous, awful thing that it, it, that in a sort of in a, um, excuse my French, I guess. I, don't, not, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. There are other ways to mm. say it, but that's the way it should be said because that's that's what's shown to you. And that's it's all. All these little snippets are based on these true stories from this era in filmmaking, the end of the silent era and the pre-code talkie era of Hollywood. So in mm. that way, it's got a little bit of um, Once Upon a Time <laughs> in Hollywood to it because that movie really worshiped that weird time period that it takes place in the same way sort of this one does, but people are just treated so awfully. Um, you know, uh, (laughs) what's the term? Um, uh, it's important that I get it right. I can't remember what the term is. It's, um, but it's our lives. It's basically our, our the value of human life is treated with absolute disrespect in this film, it, unless you're talking about the big stars or whatever. Then it, then it isn't, and that hypocrisy is is really really tough to swallow. Um, it ends. I'll just spoiler huge spoiler alert for Babylon. Although I don't know, this isn't like it ends where they're found guilty. Ah, it's not that kind of spoiler, <laughs> but it. It ends with this guy who's sort of ostensibly the the person that this whole story rotates around coming back to Hollywood after going back to his native Mexico and finding a family. It ends with a time jump. 
and watching uh, Singing in the Rain and weeping because he lived through Singing in the Rain. But he didn't <laughs> live through Singing in the Rain. He lived through this. He lived through Rome while it was burning and everyone was just playing, you know, Turkey in the Straw and the Fiddle. And nobody gave a crap. And the film laments the loss of the the characters and the personalities that came from this area when they show the postcode Hollywood trots out all these nice, clean-cut, perfect people to basically take the place of old Hollywood. And, and it seems to suggest that the result, Singing in the Rain, is both a terrible thing and the perfect thing to sum up. Plus... Don't show huge clips of some all-time great movie during your piece of crap movie. That's a huge mistake. Don't you know what I mean? Don't <laughs> right. try and you yeah. know or to say what are you saying? Oh, this is this is how it really happened. Well, is it? I find that hard to believe that even in that era everybody was this deprived. You chose to tell the story of people who were completely deprived and worthless. And I'll say that again, worthless. There's no, re there's nothing that justifies the things that happen to people in this based around this long-ass speech that Gene Smart has after she's effectively taken down Brad Pitt's star and made him a has-been in print. She says, you know, you people will still look up there on the screen and see you and that's, that they'll be doing that for ages, which people... I can promise you during this time did not think that these movies would be watched for ages. I mean, that's why they right. disposed of them and birthed them and got rid of them and all kinds of stuff. Cause they yeah. had no concept that any of this would endure while well, she somehow does after she's been totally evil. She tries to impart this wisdom on the character and she says, and so that's not about you. That's bigger than you. Mm. All right. I mean, I, it, it's it was shocking because I it didn't like the look of it. I really didn't like the look of it, but I didn't believe that it could be such a such a bloated empty vessel that it is coming from Damon Chazelle. Who I, I didn't love La La Land, but I was pretty impressed with it. We flat out thought Whiplash still the best movie I've seen in twenty years, and First Man was our alternate Oscar winner for the year it came out. And rightly so, because it is spectacularly human. Mm -hmm. It takes an uh, impenetrable character from our history who doesn't like talking to people and didn't write an autobiography, and it shows him in, and his family and everybody that came in contact with him in the most human quality possible. And in that way, even though it can be desperately sad at times, it's a celebration of humanity. This film is humanity rolled in shit and set on fire. And it is <laughs> it, it, it is absolutely beyond the pale how much I just hated everyone involved in it and every second I spent with it. Uh, that said, I cared enough about it to hate it. <laughs> yeah, well, there, you know. There, because there's there other things on this list. Well, that's not the case where I just don't, yep. you just, you lose, I, you lost me at the gate. I sat through the end credits of this one. I got all the way through it. It earned my hate. I think, I think my reaction is perfectly righteous. Um, yeah. Divisive. I mean, it should be divisive. It's, it's meant to be divisive. Mm -hmm. It's designed by its very design. So 
but I I hated it. I I don't know why you, I don't know what you're trying to say or what you're trying to show. Um, I don't feel the filmmaker's voice in this at all, and 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 perhaps it's because I'm ignoring it because I I just find it what it is, what it potentially is so objectionable. That's possible. Hey, I'm like bring on the Hayes Code, man. Bring on the the. <laughs> Because that, even that, even the idea that that, like, that that was Christianity changing Hollywood for the worse, I don't think Hollywood changed for the worse when that rolled in, and I don't think it got any less evil or exploitative than it was shown to be in this film. So mm -hmm. I just think that, even that simple lesson, it's just cried BS on. So I don't, I don't know what you have at the end of this film. It really hated it i hated it mm. um well, well there is something to be said about caring for something well you gotta caring enough to, to really hate, hate it you gotta love it a little <laughs> no, you, you know what i mean you, there you, has it it got a reaction out of me i mean that's mm -hmm. not the that's not the worst thing i can say about a movie but i right. absolutely hated it no question I hated hated right, let let's move on to triangle of sadness there what's the premise of that one Triangle of Sadness is a fashion model celebrity couple join an eventful cruise for the super rich. Uh, Triangle of Sadness, I didn't hate. Triangle of Sadness, I dismiss. I disrespect. I dismiss you. I, 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 I don't accept that you are anything worth discussing. You're just garbage. That's a garbage movie. That is stunning that the Academy saw fit to nominate that for Best Picture in any year. Just a stupid loud obnoxious piece of crap whose whose uh whose value is absent from it mm -hmm. um what's the show about the resort that everybody's watching on hbo right now uh oh my gosh uh what, what the white lotus what yeah the, if you really want to watch this kind of thing that as sort of distasteful and gross as it is has some storytelling value has some, there's some meaning behind what they're getting at in that. And, and the way they're looking at this, this is just, it's just a cartoon clown show that has no meaning because it can't be taken remotely seriously. And, and so then what, it, what is it then? It's not Babylon, which you can kind of be amazed by at least what you're seeing being put up on screen both what they have the audaciousness to do and how how technically incredibly made that film is this film doesn't have that what does it have it it has it's it isn't worth discussing it's trash i hate i want to say i hate it cuz i just yeah you, there's utter waste uh, of yeah. time utter waste of time well, and, a, and and again some of these films we're talking about i mean it, 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 how 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 something like Empire of Light not nominated when this thing is it's it's crazy right. to me it, it it the only thing and I don't want to try and read the Academy voters minds but it's the only thing I can think of is that they were bamboozled by it that they think they're supposed to admire it but go out there and talk to anybody who's seen it yeah see what they have to say I I. Wouldn't want to spend too long with somebody who really liked this film. <laughs> I really wouldn't. But but I'm sure they're out there, but 
there are not many of them out there. This movie's bad, and I you can just tell that it is. It's not just bad, it's bad. It's badly done. It's Everything about it is bad. <laughs> it's hard to explain. So that's... Uh, yeah, it's not worth getting all riled up about it. It it just Great. And if it wins yeah. any Oscars, I'll be just shocked and out of my system. Yeah. I can't believe a film as bad as this got nominated. I can believe a film as bad as Elvis got nominated. I get it. I didn't like that one either, but mm. I get it. That's yeah. coming up, I guess, in a future show. I get that. That's a terrible. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a terrible movie that also got nominated, but. And Joel really doesn't like that worse than mine. Stay tuned; you'll hear the whole rundown on Elvis. But, but, uh, but it's not. It it isn't this. This is just. It's just. It's just not even sure. worth it. It's not worth it. Let's move on to uh, the hilarity that clearly is all quiet on the Western Front. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, Shoe a young in German for best, soldiers for best international feature and amazingly and rightfully nominated for best picture. Um, go ahead and read the synopsis. Such as yeah, young German soldiers' terrifying experiences in distress on the Western Front during World War One. The movie it reminds me of is Das Boot. I remember the first time I saw that. I it doesn't that one doesn't have the same effect on me now, I guess. But the first time I saw it in the late '80s or whatever, I brought it home the VHS and just was just white knuckled through the whole thing and kind of just was amazed by mm -hmm. what I was seeing. This is the best uh, World War One film I've ever seen, hands down. And it's because it's it's first of all, it's being from the German point of view is makes it very very interesting um but mostly it's it's the world war one we i've talked about it on the show i have very <laughs> i don't want to like world war one as a thing i have very little respect for what world war one was where we just were people sent to the slaughter for reasons that nobody on either side could articulate properly it was just right. uh just uh and still can't like historians are still trying to piece together what it was even what was at stake in principle in the thing and you can't because there wasn't anything we signed all these mutually destructive treaties which we have plenty of them in the world today where we're if somebody attacks you they they attack us that in a way is seems like a nice thing it seemed like it would prevent war post world mm -hmm. war 1 because the lesson the only lesson that you can take from world war 1 is that's a bad idea. Going to war over nothing and then everybody falling in because they signed on the dotted line is the worst possible thing you can do. And yeah. and and entire generations of people were lost for the dumbest reasons. And th this film um, shows the utter absurdity of that and the true unfiltered horror of it all together. And... Yeah. It was, it was, um, it's, you know, what considered one of the greatest anti-war novels of all time. And the, the I've never read it, but, and there's been a, another older, much more celebrated film, a film that came out before World War II, which is crazy to me. And, it, you know, people, mm -hmm. people still didn't really, although World War II was different. World War II was different. You can say what. You can explain yep. what that one was about using pretty simple language, actually. World War One is just it's so dumb and so senseless. 
and and it's the ultimate war to use to hold up as an anti-war thing. All the great anti-war activists that came out of World War One. Um, I talked about one. There was another great film made about it. Um, very much from behind the lines, though. This one puts you very much out on the front lines. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it was really, really good. <laughs> it's from a few years back. <laughs> we'll get back to you on that. Yeah. Um, There's basically um, a period drama about a woman who lost her, her fiancé and her brother in World War One, and, and as a result became one of the greatest anti-war activists in post, post-war history. And we talked a little bit about, when we talked about Munich, the edge of war or whatever, we talked about the desperation of the English not to enter into war again. And, you know, it, 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 you see why when you see the senseless stupidity and slaughter of this sort of thing. Um, I was, and the sound, the music, the performances, a um, couple of the really best actors in Germany got together to, to put their own money behind this to get the story told again, who make appearances in the film more or less for free. Um, Mm -hmm. It has that sense of purpose to it, even though, even though very much like the book, it it doesn't, it's never preaching at you. It it is just relaying the sad, crazy, absurd facts of the thing at you in a way that you can't come away from it not feeling something about it so i'm um, testament of youth was the movie you were thinking it is testament of youth thanks for remembering that because testament of youth is Mm -hmm. really really good really really like the more i think about it the how the how strong a film that is it is really really well done so check that one out Um, if you really want to feel horrible and check this one out if you want to feel horrified and horrible um (laughs) It it does so the way all high art should. It it it's fantastic film. A very very grateful. Um, let's move on to uh, we mentioned uh, Danielle Deadweiler earlier. Uh, let's let's get into the film that she was um, much lauded in, and that is Till, the story of Emmett Till. Well, the the story of after Emmett Till's brutal murder. Yeah, Emmett, um, Emmett his mother vows to expose the much. racism. Yeah, yeah, it really is the the aftermath of it. Uh, N- Northern kid goes to visit his relatives down in the south, and and even though his mom's terrified that he's going down there, they he they, he goes down and for a visit and uh, talks to a white woman and was lynched because of it. It's it's senseless and it's it's completely the lack of justice in the story is completely mm-hmm. if you read the real story, I mean, Emmett Till is a bit of a buzzword in politics and other things because what happened to him is this totally unacceptable. So it really does make a good example for the rest of us to remember. Um, not so much that some horrible thing could happen to him. Horrible things were happening to African-Americans and others all the time in in the in the racist south during this time it this what the film demonstrates is how the wheels of justice would just completely uh blind and deaf to to any concerns that went along with that and what the fight to even get his story heard eventually a character says that in this thing he says it you you 
you're you'll ne there's no justice to be had here. This is completely unjust. The only thing, the reason we go through all this and fight this fight is so that the story gets out there because people need to hear what this is what's going on and it'll change people's minds and it'll awaken their apathy and that's that did happen to some degree because of Emmett and his mom and so we're grateful for that but it's a it's a it's a tough Mm -hmm. Some of the things that the, that she went through and some of the decisions that she made, the open casket at what became a national funeral, that was a really, really brave thing to do. And a, what had to be an like unrelatably. Yeah, it's unimaginably, unimaginatively uh, brutal and difficult and inconceivable to to to. But those those stories say, are worth telling and telling mm -hmm. over and over again. And this film is told in a rather unconventional manner. It's it's a rather typical his, history film. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's doesn't make it bad. I don't think there's anything served by digging in, and you know what I mean, or breaking out the big flash or the big artistic embellishments to do this movie. I, I, don't, I think yeah. that would have served it very well. So. But it, but uh, it was really, really good. T Till's yeah. really, really strong. That's a story that needs to keep keep being told again and again and again. And it, and when 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 they do bother to tell it, we do sort of. I I think as an American, you're sort of obligated to step up and face down those things that are terrible about America. I think that's the only way. That's the only way for it to live up to anything resembling its promise is to confront yeah. what was really, really awful about it. And this is one of those chapters. It's a sad, tragic, and and brutal chapter. And, you know, Emma Till's mom went through it. Her, their family went through it. These artists went through a part of it themselves to recreate it for us. So we do owe it to, her, to it to show up for that. So it was a very, really yeah. strong film. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to something that was um, much. Uh, it, it it certainly the 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 subject matter wasn't isn't nearly as heavy as Till and All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, it is uh, maybe the front runner for best picture at this point, uh, and uh, it is everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> <laughs> this was going to be part of our science fiction show, but Joel rightfully yep. felt that one was running long and kicked it down the road to here, and now here it is. That's a difficult. This I think this is a difficult movie to talk about. I think a lot of people probably won't find it that difficult to talk about it. It's just crazy, weird, um, really absurdist time travel esque adventure mm -hmm. it's a high concept movie with which we evaluate ourselves and the human heart through um what do we say through a multiverse approach of storytelling and unlike the marvel multiverse which has been name dropped and shown and utilized to push some buttons in us nothing that they have done comes anywhere close to the ambition of actually demonstrating what it is as this film does. And that way mm -hmm. it's definitely to be lauded. It's uproariously funny at times. It's crazy, kind of scary and intense at times. At least I found it. So, um, 
And it and the kind of most amazing thing about it is it has a message of um its idea about how the cycle of this interdimensional war is solved is unique in all of film. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it, yeah, and in that way, it really it 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 takes it's. I really don't feel like the movie that came before that revelation earned that sort of attitude towards life necessarily. Um, so I've struggled with that. I also struggle with some really ham fisted sentimentality that are that last final 20 minutes of this film is just packed to the rafters with it. A little bit of that goes a long way and it just has a ton of mm-hmm. it, but it's totally something different here. It is. It's totally something different. Here's these young filmmakers working at an entirely different level. Their ambition and their storytelling is through the roof. The way they find the ways they find to deliver on that visually and using the tools of cinema are work for the most part, even when they should seem impossible. Um, The performances, I don't want to say they're grounded in reality so much, but they're grounded in a recognizable humanity that makes the thing Mm -hmm. work in a way that we, that we can really, really enjoy it. Um, and it's, I can't stress this enough. It's something really different. (laughs) A lot like Marcel, uh, the shell, it's, it's, it's a movie of today, not in this case, not as such a good way. I think the things of today, the smaltiness, the, all the feel good, huggy crap that takes forever to get to. And that, when you get to it feels utterly conventional and dull by comparison. Um, I think it's way an overrated film because of that, but that's mm. just because people have embraced it completely and, and blind to its flaws. Doesn't mean it's bad. It's very, very good and should be seen by everybody and was a big hit in spite of a rather modest budget. So I'll, there's nothing I can really say to make it, you know what I mean? To lessen its luster, I guess. But I yeah. wouldn't I wouldn't get my vote for best picture. I can definitely tell you that. And it's only just because it's too messy and too it falls down on its ambitions a little too much. But man, Joel, those ambitions really are they're it's, really through the roof in a mm-hmm, in a dazzling and impressive is, sort of yeah. way. And I really it do is, admire it for yeah. that. It, it, I mean, this was literally, uh, it's not just swinging for the fences, right. it's swinging for all of the fences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, you, that you really do feel that when you're watching it, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, it was really fun. I, I also, the only thing that, um, I, I would add to what you said is the, um, uh, the specificity of the actors. Uh, because the jumping from multiverse to multiverse mm-hmm. uh, is in some cases happens so quick uh, there. Sometimes there isn't anything that lets you know that a change has been made right. except for what the, what the actors are doing. And, and um, the, the fact and, that the and, filmmakers keep track of all that and the performers keep mm-hmm. track of all that is really incredible because it, you're in, and that, you're disoriented constantly yeah. through this film, but you're never lost as to what is happening before right. your eyes, and you could easily right. have become so. Yeah, and, 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 they, yeah, and they, they just they... embrace whatever weird idea they had. 
again, it was yeah. a modest film, so it was able to really go for it in a way that a bigger, more expensive movie would not have been. But I mean, the two characters mm-hmm. are they just rocks basically in one of the universe? <laughs> in one of the scenes, yeah, in one of the universes, they are the just hot dog rocks. hands are iconic part of cinema now that you can't. Mm-hmm. That you can't minimize the value of those sorts of like crazy, cool visual and and emotional ideas. I just, yeah. I it, you're just getting a little bit of um, and and I was just gonna say it, it also uh you, the filmmakers trust the audience. They they trust that everyone is going to. This isn't a movie you can have on in the background. And I always right. say that we throw we throw that phrase around too much probably, but we you know to follow you follow it along and if you are if you are engaged in the story which i certainly was i never had a problem i never i never was lost like you said i never was lost and the filmmakers trusted that i was never going to be lost the filmmakers never like there was there was never a i'm going to make sure that you know where we are now yeah yeah, it is they just trusted that we were going to get that we were with them um, or well, even if they didn't, they they weren't going to be those guys who explain everything to you. Mm-hmm. And and this movie, if it had a bunch of that in it, it does have a bunch of exposition in it, but it's it's all handled rather brilliantly. Correct. In, in the dramatic moment, um, the film absolutely treats assumes you're intelligent and treats you thus, and that's uh, that's yeah. that's not something you can say for almost any of these kinds of things right they don't and um, they don't because they're they cost so much at a certain point that they they they're terrified of alienating anybody this film is bravely willing to alienate anybody and stuff so. <laughs> and that's true. that you know what i mean they it's not that they don't care mm-hmm. what you think i'm sure they're delighted that their film connected with people it's that they're telling the story that they want to tell and that's the only way to do it i mean if you really want to achieve something resembling greatness even on this sort of cheesy level if that's the only way to do it and they this is a textbook case and how great that works when it works. I think. Um, let's uh, let's move on to um, well, what's the term sh- when when you when something's so huge a hit that there's some blowback against it. There's a um, there's a term. Well, for I mean, I I just thought it was you know it was just blowback. No, it's <laughs> it it's, is, uh, it's this is this is people are it's not resenting it or it's, I can't remember uh, what it is. But it is. There's a term oh, yeah. very much in the pop culture that is. Now you're turned on it. I've turned on it a little bit because it's been celebrated to the point of of almost ridiculousness. It it's not the best movie ever, and it's not even the best movie this year. It's just really, really super good for a piece of speculative fiction to be as smart and different as this one is. Uh, and there's a term for that, folks, and you're thinking of it right mm-hmm, now. I know and you're are. thinking of it, and you're all yelling it at your uh, <laughs> at your device. I just I do have a little to, bit uh, of that. Where really is just that. It's not some, I don't like the movie. It's that little bit of, okay, we've gone too far with this. <laughs> now I have to, somebody's got to say something bad about it because it ain't perfect. And that's basically mm-hmm. where I'm at. Backlash. That's the word. Uh, yeah. That's the word. Thank you, Joel. Yeah. A little bit where of, I'd find it. I, and I'm just identifying it as backlash because that is literally what it is in this case. It's not like, mm-hmm. it's not like some, all right, let me, let's take this movie down. It's, I've I've reached the point of backlash with the way that it's been celebrated so universally. 
I just haven't um, reached that point. It can happen. Mm-hmm. All right, let's um let's move on to she said the uh, story of New York Times reporters Megan uh, Tuhi and Jody Cantor as they break one of the most important stories in a generation, the story that helped ignite a movement and shatter decades of silence around the subject of sexual assault in Hollywood. I read more than one review, one more than one positive review of this film defending its being boring. I don't know how. That's a positive review. I don't know how you could have watched this and thought it was boring. This is one of the best. It's not. What's the best journalism movie we've had in a while? It's probably Spotlight. Spotlight is special. Spotlight. That is a really, really good and compelling film. This is mm-hmm. trickier. This, this, this is trickier because these guys fell into this story to some degree. They didn't. It's true of all sort of journalistic exposés, but. This film falls apart if it doesn't take the journalistic part of it very, very seriously. And if that's not the story, and that is the story here. And it's dedication to that, the reality of that, the sort of harsh, ugly reality of it, is what's so stunningly good about it. I loved She mm-hmm. Said. I can't believe that something like Elvis gets nominated for Best Picture. Or even something like Top Gun, which you'll hear us rave about here in coming episodes we love that just like everyone else did um Mm -hmm. it what those things those are there to entertain and dazzle you and that's it and that's it and this is so something more and it's every bit as good and well executed and it's just you could say that about a lot of the films on this list it's just like you you guys have lost your way in terms of (laughs) really trying so hard to please people by making sure that the avatars and the top guns of this world are nominated for best picture. And yet you're still stodgy and stupid enough that you give the awards out to the hurt lockers of the world. Anyway, a film seen Mm -hmm. by almost nobody at the time. Yeah. And that was also super overrated. So, so I don't know. I guess you can't win in a way with awards. You can't win. And well, here's but where I, here's where. But I can tell win. you this: five films I would take off the nomination list sticks. She said on it. That's how good it yeah. is. It's at least top six in a ten movie run. It's just super strong. Although I admit a bit antiseptic storytelling. It really is point and shoot, and it's shot like almost like a documentary. The camera feels. Like there's a person almost standing there when these people are being mm-hmm. interviewed or when they're going through these meetings or when they're on these phone calls. One of Joel's favorite movies of all time is All the President's Men. This takes its cue from at least the early goings of that where they really are just doing the legwork of running down the details that you're getting. And and the performances are have so much integrity to them and the writing is so good and the story and the people who were hurt by it uh perhaps yeah. because this movie's coming out while the headlines are showing evidence of, of justice maybe it it feels unnecessary somehow it's possible yeah, there's a lot of, yeah. written about this in the real world but beyond that, I, it's hard to know what you wouldn't like. But sure. She said it's so good. Well, one place where it may win is tune in in January of 2024 
for the movie show with Joel and Ryan's alternate Oscars episode. <laughs> I'm sure this will get some mention and maybe it's really, that. really that good. And, and, mm-hmm. and something like triangle of sadness is such a big giant turd. And it's just like, I just, it, it, it makes, I mean, award shows, we mm-hmm. think they're fun, but they're becoming less fun. It takes things like the slap and stuff to, mm-hmm make us give a crap the next day because I don't know. That's not like she said was going to win a bunch of Oscars, but it's really, really good. right. All right. Let's uh, tell me a little bit about white noise. Uh, Noah Baumbach's film. Here, I'll read the, uh, I'll read the uh, description here. It dramatizes, dramatizes a contemporary American family's attempts to deal with the mundane conflicts of everyday life while grappling with the universal mysteries of love, death, and the possibility of happiness in an uncertain world. At least over my um, Zoom here, you're breaking up a little bit, so you might want to close some tabs if you have that option open to you. I closed all the tabs that I can close. It may just be that I'm... Mm -hmm. That's my experience on my end. You never know. And I followed what you said. Um, White noise, man. Noah Baumbach, first of all, really, really talented guy. His marriage story was really, really one of the best films of its year. Um... I adored that movie because it, it, it just, I just adored it again, basically because of it's the, the humanity that it was sharing with us. Um, he's got sort of a wicked sense of humor, but I've never seen it quite like this. White noise is an adaptation of a book. That's a really biting piece of satire. And, and because of that, it, it has this whole different sort of, uh, pre, I don't want to say preachy, but, has this whole different sort of kind of amazing energy to it. Um, I just, I don't know how to explain it. It's really, really smart satire about a really crazy, absurd situation. It's about a really self-involved and sort of awful family. And yet the film, because it plays fair with us, still advocates for them in a way that it doesn't just make them. It's not like, in that way, it's not like Triangle of Sadness. It's not even like uh, the HBO show I mentioned earlier. It's, it really doesn't want you to judge these people for who they are. It wants you to recognize how wrongheaded their lack of perspective about the world is. And it isn't mm-hmm. just them. It's the people they come in contact with. There's this wide range of spectrum of willful ignorance and bureaucratic stupidity that they encounter. And sometimes they know, they recognize it for what it is. And sometimes they're the cause of it themselves and everything in between. It's really, really smart. It has a really, really fun musical number at the end of it. It is a really, really good takedown of what a actual disaster movie would feel like if we were living through it. It has that weirdness and that incompetence to it that we don't know what the hell is going on. We're so used to mm-hmm. spending movies like that with the people at the computer screens who know what the hell they're doing and know how to save the world or at least how to survive the disaster. And this film has none of that. We're not even really super sure what it was when it's over. And when it's over, the movie hasn't really resolved any of its issues, which is strange. So structurally, it's always keeping you on your toes. It's expertly made. It's brilliantly acted. It's super funny at times, but your threshold for humor has to be 
stuff that's pretty smart and witty, stuff that's in the writing and the mm-hmm. wording, that's where all the magic is sort of happening here. I would imagine it's a very, very smart and clever book. And I loved uh, White Noise. I don't, it's, again, it's not going to be for everybody. I appreciate that. You're right to hate it, but <laughs> but I, I loved it. I felt many times during it, I felt like I was being called out in it. And... And yeah. that, I think that's fair, and I think I, you know, it made me want to think about maybe some of those things. <laughs> so that's and that's that's cool because nobody makes more white noise than me. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's let's move on to uh, Sarah Pauly's film, uh, written and directed, uh, starring Rooney Mara, Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, uh, Francis McDormand, um, it just Sheila McCarthy. Yeah, Judith yeah. Ivy, Julia, Emily, yeah, Emily, uh, um, yeah, un- uh, well, uh, w- women talking. Um, read the premise. Yeah, uh, let me. Yeah, it is do nothing, stay and fight, or leave. In 2010, the women of an isolated religious community grapple with reconciling a brutal reality with their faith. It's um based on a true story that happened in a colony in Bolivia. This isn't Bolivian. It feels very Amish, sort of. Uh, what's the term? Um, there's a other Mennonite. Mennonite, yeah. It feels like that sort of society. It takes place around, we think, 2001. I think they're doing a census. Well, it says 2010. Oh, 2010. So, so in yeah. our recent history. Yeah, so census. Okay. Yeah, census. But anyway, they're part of a very a throwback culture and a deeply religious and and superstitious culture and i'll that premise was careful not to do this so if you don't want to know what women talking is really about uh, that's cool give yourself 15 seconds here and i'm gonna because i'm gonna tell you what it's really about so many of the men of this community are breaking into the living quarters of the women and using cattle tranquilizer are knocking them out while they sleep at night and sexually assaulting them and assaulting them in other ways as well. And when the women find this out, they, they, the voiceover kind of right at the beginning of the movie says they, you know, they do everything. They call the police and everything. But the, the men in this culture bail the perpetrators out and as part of their religious beliefs believe the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven is, to, for, is through forgiveness. That's a pretty large tenet of the Bible as we know it. So that's worth... Mm-hmm that's worth attacking what that means. Um, They're meeting sort of in secret. It's mostly that they're not really being very secretive about it, but it's mostly that the, that they're so marginalized in the society that their meeting isn't have any meaning or is any threat to anybody. The one, uh, male character that we get to know slightly in the film played by Ben Weishaw, um, is showed up to be the notary of the film, not to get involved, but to take down notes for them and whatever. His mother was banished from the society for questioning too much. Mm. The questioner in the group is played by Rooney Mara really, really well. Her and this guy have a pretty deep connection because they do see things the same way and they do want to see changes. Um, Claire Foy is a, a spark plug of a performer in this. Claire Foy is so good. Um, she's angry. She's really, really angry. 
but it's Jesse Buckley, a never better Jesse Buckley, and she's always really, really good. That just amazed me in this film. And Sarah Polly is such a good writer, and she is such a good director and such a master storyteller. And I have to sit back and say, you know, I don't know if it's if they're if the Academy. I don't know if I don't want to be so cynical as to say that they're checking off their let's get the women represented in the Oscar nominations. This film is nominated for best picture. It's absolutely worthy of being best picture. It would be on my, it'd be in my top three for sure of the year. It's an incredible film that is just what it's saying. What women talking, um, when women listening to each other and figuring out one of these three options, they only see it as they have three options. They can stay and do nothing. They can leave the, leave the colony or they can stay in the colony and fight for change and differences because there's simply too many of them that cannot forgive this transgression. They feel incapable of being able to do that. And Mm -hmm. Rooney's character asks the question, subtle with a smirk on her face, but she's like, she kind of lets everybody go through the opening salvo. And then she waits cleverly to a moment of power to do it. It's almost like she's been to some seminars and quietly says, you know, what is forgiveness? We can't just forgive if we're not really forgiving. We have to understand what that is before we choose the, the, you know, before we choose either the last thing or the first thing. It has to actually be forgiveness or it's meaningless. And so these are big concepts and their big ideas and the slight against these women and the crime against them is very very real and it has a lot of metaphorical value in our own world but just taken in its own terms it plays in a completely legit and dramatically as powerful a fashion as you could possibly imagine and it's full of all the way that people relate to the world it's full of unique Characters you get to know really, really well. We all have a different way of communicating. Sheila McCarthy, it's a Canadian film. Sheila McCarthy's a great Canadian actor. We talked about her in a horror movie last see <laughs> when she played a, a Satanist. Mm. Oh, my God. Sheila's so incredibly <laughs> talented. And she only really converses through parables based on, this, based on these stories that involve her two horses. <laughs> it's magical and wonderful and it's heartbreaking and i just can't say enough good things about women talking i just saw it yesterday so it's really fresh to me and i'm literally like wow it's so good but it's so good i'm not i don't think i'm exaggerating sarah's i've seen everything she's done her debut about a woman with alzheimer's who's forgotten who she is in the present day falling in love with a person who also has alzheimer's and the pain of having to deal with that and the love the true love that goes into accepting that by her real life husband who's trying to care for her and still loves her mm-hmm. it's one of the most heart-wrenching things that i've ever seen and it came from her voice and it, it's stunning and this it's unthinkable what these women are going through and how they're trying to cope with this but it evaluates it in any way a good storytelling should. And I guess you can see whose side I'm on. I have a real bias against things that are about something. <laughs> right. I, that's, I mean, that sounds like yay me. I, that's why I'm so much better than all y'all, all y'all, because I'm, I'm all like cocaine bears sucks and women talking is awesome. The reality is we can have <laughs> all these things. 
mm-hmm. but but the things There's we celebrate and we just need to be careful the things we celebrate should be these things that really do the hard work and try the hard things you know as everything everywhere all at once is, it gets in that category and it's still a big broad entertainment mm-hmm. um some things just aren't or to put it more simply the time is more than come for you to ask yourself what your entertainment, what part of you it's appealing to. Ask yourself yeah. that. I, I can tell you that there is not a moment wasted by anybody who comes to woman talking. They get it all. They get, they get it all. They get everything and they get a story that that's that I, that part of the reviewing that I usually leave behind. They get that, they get that rare story that's worth telling. That there's nothing better than that when it clicks. Oh, well, very cool. Um, yeah, I look forward to seeing that one. Uh, one. Next up is Armageddon time. Um, yeah, a deeply personal coming of age story about the strength of a family and the generational pursuit of the American dream. Two really noted biopics by a couple of noted filmmakers, but one who's a stratospheric all-time great filmmaker and one who's still sort of hiding in the shadows a little bit that's james gray who wrote and directed armageddon time about his real experiences as a youth growing up in i want to say the 60s ish late 60s feels like that um and the complications uh with his family it's got crazy good performances by uh um uh, Jeremy Strong, Jeremy Anne Strong. Hathaway, Anthony Hopkins, and definitely the kids involved in the story are really, really incredible. Um, a lot of people were complaining about this, but I don't know if they're smart people or not. Maybe I'm the stupid person. Um, it's not a fun story, you know. I don't. It, it, we 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 start to think a filmmaker examining their own life in this sort of pseudo tragic way is is a is a is a pretentious and self-involved thing and of course it is but i i loved it this kid had a i mean he had a unique experience i think the story is worth telling it's subtle and it's and it's sad but it still has hope in it and mm-hmm. and these anecdotes just totally ring true and we'll talk about another movie that this is very much the same as that, as this one, it's they're very very similar. It's coming up, and I gotta pick up the pace here so that I can actually fit mm-hmm. all these in. Um, but I, I loved Armageddon Time. I really believed it. I believed it. I don't know if that's enough, but that for me, I believed his the story that he told about about these the lessons that this kid learned the hard way and the way he fought back even when he was wrong and uh, you know. And yeah, it's hard to explain. Jeremy Strong, especially his father, he's an abusive father, truly. But but I but that abuse comes from it comes in those moments of discipline and stuff. And so everybody's going to have their own opinion about what that stuff is. But their connection, that father son connection, that's still a thing. And it the way this movie explores that and, and even tougher with Anne Hathaway's part in this really tough. Cause the mom who's on the sidelines for that 
and who even mm-hmm. encourages it from time to time. Like that's a hard thing to earn like the, the reality of all that and to keep be, it still be able to keep everything in front of us and not have it just become that story or this part of the story where he has this friendship with this, this interracial friendship, which at the time would have been tough and how he sort of denies it mm-hmm. and the shame of that. I lo- I really liked it. it. It's really dealt with some really tough things and it's a really beautifully done small film where all the characters, you know, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember what James said. I, I read a few interviews about this after I saw, I saw this more more than a month ago now, so I've seen this a while back. But you know, one of the things he said was, um, he goes, you know, I I don't. He says I don't know if the, my. He goes, I I'm really glad to have done this, and I'm really really proud that 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 everything that I went through with my dad is on the screen of it and that my love and respect for him, I think is there, but I'm still really, really glad that he's dead and couldn't see it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. And it, that feel, again, you hear artists talk about the art and it feels true as to what you just saw it. James Gray's a, he started out a little weird and I was, I was like, what's he doing? He's weird. But he started out making the movies they'd let him make. And now that he's making whatever right. he wants, boy, they've been two or three really, really great ones in a row. And this is, this might be the best of them. So, Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's tough movie, but it's really, really good. Really strong. Sure. All right. Well, two lifelong friends find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for both of them. In Martin McDonough's The Banshees of Inishirin. Banshees of Inishirin is the saddest movie I've ever seen. And you've, you've heard <laughs> me talk about the content that we talk about. And it's it's one of the funnier movies on this list. But that, that funny comes from a deep, deep sadness. And that it, it's just so sad. It just is horrendous it's this these two characters get on this unstoppable and it, it should and, and and it's the the it's the senselessness of the tragedy that makes it so sad and yet mm-hmm. and yet they're both pretty good at articulating why where why they're digging their heels in the, the way they can or at least colin farrell in particular is really really good at demonstrating why it's impossible for him to allow this friendship to be just dissolved. Even if, even when he, even though he goes through every sort of, sort of stage of mourning that you can, he's incapable of letting it go. That's something that's really, really relatable. Less relatable, I think, is Brendan, uh, Brendan Gleeson, who has to play a guy who, for reasons that he is clever enough to state, repeatedly and then demonstrate the conviction of repeatedly why this can no longer go on or why this has become the symbol for his unwillingness to deal with the things in life that take from its meaning. Mm -hmm. That's 
So if you're ever out there on the internet and you're reading those memes saying if they don't contribute to your bliss, you know, just wipe them out of your life or if they don't blah, 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 or if you're not super happy yep. all the time, 100% of the time, then you're blah, 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 or you need to self-love before you can love somebody. All the little things, the little flowers in the corners of the frames that are telling you to abandon the things in your life that cause you difficulty do not respect or acknowledge in any way the complexity of life and the complexity mm -hmm. of human emotions and the complexity of the human heart. They ignore them and they give you these, it sounds right. Well, if I feel terrible or this person makes me feel bad, I should probably get away from them. I, I think there's certainly times when you do that, but I think it's a life philosophy that has real consequences that you should at least, you know, think some about before you make those sort of moves. And this film shows you that it, it isn't, it shows you in a crazy way. I, it, I, this is a hard movie to take literally. I, I almost don't think you can, in fact. Yeah. And it yeah. completely breaks the mold of Martin's previous three films, uh, uh, three billboards and um, they all have numbers in them. Thanks, dude. That's, you know, that's my favorite <laughs> thing. However, seven psychopaths, <laughs> say, maybe mm -hmm. I'm getting the numbers wrong. I'm pretty sure I got the billboard numbers right. Um, and then the other film, brilliant film that these two actors appeared in, um, in Bruges, those films are all bait and switches. They start out as one thing. And by the time they're over, they are totally something different. And, and it, he loves that. He gives you, he explores the conventional story and then goes way beyond what that, that would normally be. And he's done it brilliantly in all three movies. This film is more, if, if to compare it to a Shakespeare play, it's more like King Lear. Lear comes out mm -hmm. in the opening scene and says he does everything wrong that he's going to do. He sets everything horrible in motion and there's no going back from there. It happens right away and you're just yeah. trapped until the bitter end. And it is extremely bitter and sad. Um, and yet you, you will laugh out loud in it. It is really clever, well-written well, well, everything really, but it's, yeah. it's don't, don't, it's not a lark. This is, there's real <laughs> sadness here. That's what you should sure. be engaging with, you know? I, and I hope that people do that because it's one of the best movies of the year. No question. He's Martin McDonough. Holy smokes. He's mm -hmm. a playwright. It, you can tell, but he's really, really good at making movies. Thank God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's um, let's move on to the Fablemans. Uh, growing up in post World War II Arizona, young Steven Spielberg—I mean Sammy Fableman—aspires to become a filmmaker as he reaches adolescence, but soon discovers a shattering family secret and explores how the power of films can help him see the truth. Um. It's neat. It's really, really neat to see somebody open up their story to us because everything in this film happened, according to Spielberg. He he started with the conceit and sort of keeping it to himself that you know it was kind of autobiographical, but you know whatever, it's fictionalized mm -hmm. or whatever. And they they apparently they the actors involved and such they kept asking him, 
did this really happen? And he was like, yeah, this happened. <laughs> and apparently mm-hmm. the answer was always, yes, this happened. So this is, again, this is a guy who's been grappling with all the stuff that happens in this movie and every movie we've seen by him up until this point. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yet it's told by the storyteller himself in his own unique cinematic style. And that's just, that alone is kind of an, makes an amazing thing. Um, Spielberg, you could say, things pretty much worked out for him. (laughs) He's top guy at the top of his game. He's really super rich and his, his kids are never going to need money ever because he's made some of the most enduring bits of movie making that there is and that there will ever be in the history of movies. So that's, that's gotta feel good at some point. I'm not saying you should rest on your laurels or whatever. The, the terminal was still really shitty, but Mostly he makes only good movies, and even when he makes bad ones, they're really well made. And, mm-hmm. you know, we so we've celebrated him because of the, the E.T. and the Indiana Jones and the Close Encounters and, um, you know, the Jurassic Park now, is, he's part of that. All through, you know, all these things that are iconic through time. And a huge part of our development as people, and we get to see what were the huge parts of his development in this film, which is really delightful. But what you really see is a scared kid with a lot of anger and no real outlet with which to express it. Um, And a lot of, as the film goes on to demonstrate, a lot of misplaced anger, ultimately. Mm -hmm. All those single moms in those early... And those early Spielberg movies. And when he was making those, yeah. as we learn when we watch this, he didn't know. He knew why he was doing it, but he didn't know the why of why he was doing it. You know, a storyteller, mm-hmm. an actor. We talked a lot about this on the play that I just worked on. And a character knows uh, what he knows, and he knows what he knows he knows. And... You really can all. You really, it's what you know. What's what they know? They know that they act on. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. the other part of it, it's there, and you have to do the work of finding what it is. And you've got to have a reason for everything. But you also got to be able to articulate that, that the guy doesn't understand that part of this is compulsion. Part of this is just comes from some place that he, the person's not willing to confront or not willing to deal with and this film's mm-hmm. full of both of those things in a really really magic way um I, i'm annoyed by spielberg because I, I i think he would be annoyed by me because i would be annoying if i was in his presence mm-hmm. you know what i mean he's not my friend and yet i feel just deep connection to him and that pisses me off that's not an equal relationship right, right. it's you know it's hard to explain <laughs> but that's not an equal relationship, like of any kind. It wouldn't even be one momentarily, however much I would like to fantasize about that it would be. Right. <laughs> and he doesn't know dick about my life, even though he's influenced it immeasurably. Right. And I feel now like I've never known more about his life. That's weird, but it's magical when I, when it happens on screen. 
Paul Dano's extraordinarily good in this film. Michelle Williams, who's always good, is really, really good. This is one of Seth Rogen's good performances. He got another one. That's two, buddy. Keep up the good work. You can do it, yeah. You can do it. It's clear. It's clear. Uh, that we'll, I'll be ripping on some other people in the future, some of whom are great, others who are not so great, and everything in between. Right. But um, but when I really get mad at you and stay mad at you, it's because, you, hey, you can do it. Just do more of that. Bring right. some of that professionalism when you've got Spielberg looking through the lens at you to the dumb movies that you do. That's cool, but see maybe if that doesn't get you a more rich richer nuanced thing that has more meaning for us and maybe even mm-hmm. a even a dumb you know comedy could benefit from that your uh yep. that horrible president movie that you did man that certainly could have benefited from some of that that could have been good and it wasn't because you guys were all lazy about it that's simple yeah. as that you, you you had enough laughs in the bag so you didn't need to give us anything else and as a result we got nothing else completely empty calories um, but Fableman's isn't anything like that at all. Seth can't bring it down. He's fantastic in it, in fact. And what's a pretty hard role? I was really, really impressed with it, and I'm glad I watched it. And if the closing scene in it is one of the most delightful things that I've ever seen in film, I would reenact it for you here if I could. But it would be cruel to rob you of it. So go check it out. Check it out and understand that what you're seeing really is this the artist is openly grappling mm-hmm. with these things in front of your eyes. And it really is revelatory. If you think about what you've seen in his films and then you see what he knows, he knows now that he knew, but didn't know he knew then it's It's magical. Fableman's is a fantastic film. Cool. Um, all right. Wrapping it up here with tar, 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 tar. <laughs> Read the, read the premise of Tar, yeah. please. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Lydia Tar. It's just fun to just go Tar, Tar. Set in the international world of Western classical music, the film centers on Lydia Tar, widely considered one of the greatest living composer-conductors and the very first female director of a major German orchestra. Directed and written by Todd Field. Kate Blanchett is Tar. Todd Field is an absolute genius. I'm just going to say that. I don't know what his agenda is i don't really care if he's going to make movies that are this good all three of his movies are shockingly good we did a one of these one of our weird we couldn't make up our minds sort of half shows about the other two films of of todd field i recommend you find that where we review in depth i think little children and in the bedroom bedroom yep uh this is this is a whole, and he hadn't done a movie since um, Little Children, two thousand six. This is the, this is the, this is so much better than that. And I don't want to be like, oh, we compare and contrast. Everything's its own thing. But this to to write something that understands the the complex world that this takes place in, and to be able to write it with the authority that people are speaking about and living through and listening to and reacting to the substance of musical that music that's as complicated on this level and then grafting on these extremely complicated relationships and I'll just say scandals to help sell the thing. There's mm-hmm. a scandal at the heart of this. Um, I read this crazy New Yorker review of this that said that it was this t- t- giant anti 
cancel culture scream <laughs> that had like no value and was just this right wing ridiculous. And I was just like, how could you watch? How oh, can you, you know, watch? I think I, I read that article too. I think. How can was, you yeah. watch this movie and 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 I I can I can't even argue that that may not some of that may not even be in there. But to just only get that from it, I I couldn't understand. How can it be anti cancel culture if the person being canceled is guilty of everything they're being accused of? I don't I don't think that's what it is at all. I think the thing that we forget as a mob about canceling people right or wrong is that life goes on for everybody when we've moved on to whatever our next thing to be outraged about is mm -hmm. right or wrong. Sometimes it's right to be outraged about something. You know what I mean? And to attack it in yeah, an yeah. organized way. It's not always wrong. Sometimes it is wrong. Usually it's messy and horrible and it's some awful place in between this. It's hard to say it's wrong. And yet, it, the lead character is so compelling. The performance is so off the charts good. It is in, it's in, it's on my spreadsheet of best performances of all time by anyone. It's really that good, and it frustrates. Wow. It does. I do get that people don't want to be. They don't want to have all this intellectual stuff, and it, it everything's piled into this thing to to just to the top. And you do got to sort of really engage hard with it and be challenged by it to get into it. I, that's not going to be for everybody. It's not escapist entertainment by, by yeah. any means. But it's still damn entertaining when it's operating on all levels, when these super smart people are all debating stuff or when even watching them lie to each other is compelling. Yeah, Tar for my money was the it was the best written and best made movie of the year. I don't know if it would you have to wait till next year to find out if I'd actually pick it for best picture. It's not a movie that it's even fair to just give it a month or so to think about it. It it's it's just hmm. it's just incredible filmmaking. I just don't know how to say yeah. it any other way. It's the the peek into a unique world and the authority with which they are able to do that let alone the plot mechanisms that get us from place to place. It's, it's almost, it's darn near perfect in that way. And if, if, if it does come from some pro fascist, anti cancel culture, right wing mm -hmm. nut job, then I'm sorry. Good. That's, that's that I've seen those people's other movies and they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm this not reading is, yeah. his mind, and I'm not going to categorize him like that. I don't know that about him at all, but and I don't see that in the art. I see somebody way more thoughtful and nuanced than that, and I see a world full of art that where we're demanding it be less thoughtful and less nuanced all the time, less complicated, so that it's easy for us to take a side. And I I sympathize with that. Sometimes we're compelled to take sides, but we shouldn't just be so eager to do it all the time, at every step of the way. And this this doesn't show the dangers of that. This this really shows somebody who's the root of their all their own problems, and it's all because of ego. And yet, it's that ego that makes them the celebrated genius that they are in the first place. And it's this horrible feeling that you couldn't have one without the other. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Well, very, very cool. Well, that is uh, that is going to wrap it up with our um, Academy Awards preview. A lot of these movies you're going to be hearing a lot of 
uh, in the future. Uh, as as the awards come out, will if they if some of these movies get uh, win awards, well then you're gonna start you're gonna hear more and more about them. So watch Top Gun um, and Elvis will sweep all the awards, and they'll be the two movies we didn't uh, talk about. Hey, we uh, didn't talk about Avatar either because I haven't seen it. We didn't talk about that Bill Nye's got a movie out right now that is being really really well mm -hmm. celebrated that he's nominated for. There are a few that I didn't get to, but I feel like mostly you got yeah. your money's worth in an Oscar preview episode, which is all we really want to give you here when you stick oh, with us yeah. for a couple hours each week. Yep. Uh, you can reach out to us on the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook at uh, ask Joel and Ryan at gmail.com. The show's uh, free, I, by I, the way. Yeah. Just and other uh, social yeah social media pages um so uh and that is going to do it we have more you know obviously there's going to be more uh films recapping 2022 give them a listen they'll be up in a couple weeks thank you Thanks. for listening to the movie show with joel and ryan remember all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people institutions or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with unless explicitly stated None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>